0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Hello and welcome in to Wednesday, September 11th, and thanks for tuning in to The Jeff Andreas Show. On today's program, I'm going to be talking about the next Canadian election after the Prime Minister officially dissolved Canada's 42nd Parliament today. I will be uh, teeing up the next 41 days and providing you with some important information on what will be happening here in Kamloops, Thompson, Caribou. And uh, at the end of the show, I'll also be speaking with TRU's Associate Professor of Political Studies, Dr. Robert Hanlon, about the election itself and uh, what may he may be expecting to see or hear over that time frame and what some of the big uh, possible storylines could be moving forward. And to uh, begin the back half of the program, I'll also be having a little chat I had earlier today with BC Finance Minister Carol James. She had a a press conference yesterday to discuss the first quarter numbers here in the province, and I'll be trying to delve a little bit deeper into that. uh, around uh, been about a half hour's time, but to kick things off, another edition of Kamloops City Council was held yesterday, and here to talk about what went down is Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the program today.
2: It's my pleasure, Jeff.
1: So, uh, Ken, let's just uh, start with a little bit of the lighter stuff here off the top. Uh, council was asked to uh, proclaim September's literacy month. Next week will be declared uh, Mitochondrial Disease Awareness Week. And uh, this one was weird to me, so I just wanted to get a quick comment from you on this. September 4th was asked to be proclaimed National Polycystic Kidney Disease Awareness Day. I just wanted to ask because I found it odd that someone would ask to recognize a day that was a week ago. Is that something you've ever had to deal with before?
2: Well, it was a question of timing, really. Uh, Last week, there was no council meeting, and the previous week, uh, the presenters were unavailable. So we wanted to take the opportunity to talk about uh, polycystic kidney disease for a couple of reasons. One is that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of awareness about that uh, disease within our region. And secondly, and most importantly, to remind people that kidney donation is something that you can do. And kidneys are uh, really badly needed in terms, in terms of the transplantation cycle. So it's really important to uh, make sure people are aware uh, that uh, their kidneys are valuable and the kidneys of their loved ones. So make sure you have your uh, donor uh, approvals done on your uh, driver's license.
1: Fair enough. I know we are always looking for more donors here in Canada, so uh, definitely an important message. Well, uh, moving on, there were three groups that were looking for some tax exemptions: the uh, the Paramount Theatre, the United Way, and the Generation Victory Center Ministries were all denied those tax exemptions. I guess so. So, why did council decide not to give these charitable organizations a break? What was the reasoning behind that?
2: in the case of the United Way uh, their application was uh, late and outside of the uh, time frames that uh, is allowed under the community charter Uh, and then with the uh, film society uh, a similar problem with timing and also uh, the potential conflict with the private sector and uh, finally with the church uh, application uh, their uh, uh, application didn't uh, meet the uh, BC assessment uh, requirements for a statutory declaration that they are a place
1: of worship um, I know there was some on council who were still trying you know because of, of the late nature I guess of the applications that didn't happen but with the United Way and with the, the Paramount theater specifically there were a couple on council who were still trying to push to get those exemptions uh, granted by council um, I guess uh, just when you're when you're looking at these specific groups or just the specific um, uh, pathway that they went about trying to uh, get these these tax exemptions I guess do you have any sort of message for anyone else who might be looking to to uh, make a similar uh, ask of counsel in the future and just in terms of obviously getting your application in on time but I know like even the Paramount Theatre they said they weren't aware that they might qualify for some of these exemptions until uh, later in the process I mean just do you have any sort of a uh, message for those who might be looking for similar asks in the future about how to go about making sure they are on time and 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 are doing things uh, by the book here
2: well the, the, the first thing they need to do is talk to our taxation manager and uh, uh, become familiar with the process. I mean, yesterday we just dealt with three denials, but there are hundreds of places that we uh, granted uh, the uh, tax exemption to, and it's a significant amount of money that the city uh, waives or foregoes in terms of taxation every year. Uh, These just happen to be three that were kind of outside of the parameters, and that's they were brought forward to council but every year uh, you know we go through the similar process and actually yesterday at council uh, our finance committee uh, we moved to have them look at the whole process in terms of what's included in the community charter and the local government act and what is part of council policy and is that policy current so the next year and going forward we'll have a uh, uh, you know more discussion about who qualifies and who doesn't and uh, that but you have to also remember Jeff that this is a finite pool of money so that if we're going to give money to uh, somebody and, and I'm not suggesting anybody is more or less worthy but it means that you're going to have to reduce it from someone else so you know what does that look like to the Anglican Diocese of the caribou or you know any of those other places that routinely get uh, tax exemptions
1: yeah I guess they're be some concern about precedent setting as well um and you had mentioned there that you know you guys are looking at uh, potentially reviewing this policy i mean it's been about three years since the uh, tax exemption policy has been reviewed by council and obviously you know you guys weren't around this specific group of council wasn't around at that time so you guys are planning i guess it sounds like to take another look at that and see if some changes should or need to be made
2: yeah, exactly, uh, Jeff. You know, you have to remember almost a year ago when we were elected, this is a very significant change in terms of council. So this council in particular wants to put, you know, their eyes on a lot of these civic issues that had been previously decided by other groups. And fair enough. And and I think it's probably timely. Things change. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, taking on some big challenges in terms of our service agreements and our uh, service levels for everything from snow plowing to lawn mowing so this is another area where we want to take a look at it make sure it's current and put our stamp on it
1: uh, here with Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Now, Council uh, also did look at the removal of the, the staircase on Seymour Street West connecting to McIntosh, I believe. Um, and it sounds like you guys did vote to have that staircase removed. There was, uh, there was some discussion a bit as a matter of crime prevention. I guess that was the main reason why it was asked to be removed. So I guess can you just sort of explain to me how the removal of a staircase aids in preventing crime? Like what issues is this going to help prevent?
2: Well, it's, it's unfortunate since the uh, Victoria Street West construction project that uh, this has become a bit of an enclave uh, in terms of uh, a lot of uh, very clandestine activities and uh, people in the West End uh, were uh, quite concerned about it. Uh, they uh, met and they petitioned our uh, council to do something about it. We looked at it because it's not something we normally would do uh, and I don't think it really is going to solve the problem in its entirety but it seemed that there is an opportunity to do it now while we have all the equipment on the site and we have an alternative in terms of uh, pedestrian access down through into Riverside Park from the West End so uh, I think once the West Victoria Street project is finished people will be quite impressed with it it's just a whole bunch of pain we have to go through during construction and this happens to be i would suggest an unintended consequence of disrupting pedestrian traffic in that particular part of town
1: and obviously uh you know going to be quite a bit cheaper for the city to do it now while while construction is underway in the area i assume
2: yeah that that was the deciding factor for me and i think some of the other counselors you know we don't uh, take lightly removing pedestrian infrastructure it's actually what we're trying to do more of but in this case it seemed an opportunity uh, opportune time because uh, the equipment's there and uh, we can yank that out i think for eleven thousand dollars whereas if we were to do that as a separate project it would be uh, almost twice that
1: okay so definitely timing then makes sense um now a uh, council also has recently approved a new 99 room shared in Hotel on Rogers Way in Aberdeen. Uh, I've seen some chatter from people online who are, you know, thinking, why the heck do we need more hotels in the city? It seems like we have tons and tons and tons of them. Um, but uh, can you explain to people, like, why there is a need for more hotel rooms here in Kamloops? I mean, why, why do we actually need so many in this city?
2: Well, uh, you know, the private sector sees an opportunity, and uh, who are we to stand in the way of that? I think that uh, people who might be asking the question, why do we need more hotels, are people who are not in that industry. Uh, Right now, we have uh, no surge capacity uh, in terms of uh, the hotel space in Kamloops. The Rocky Mountaineer uh, takes up 100,000, maybe 110,000 room nights a year in Kamloops. So if you uh, wanted to have a wedding, you want to have a small conference, that kind of thing, uh, you get pushed uh, outside of prime time. So uh, that's one reason. The other reason is that the uh, developers uh, want to make sure that the Camloops Convention Centre has uh, enough hotel rooms within walking distance of that facility to maintain the viability of the Convention Centre, which is just good business and uh, I think uh, it's a good and uh, I think it will be a welcome addition to uh, the uh, hospitality industry in this city.
1: And uh, just while I have you here, Mr. Mayor, I did want to ask you a couple of quick questions about ride-sharing because we've had three companies now that have applied to operate here in Kamloops, and some of them have some pretty lofty expectations for when they might be able to open um, or start operating, if you will. I just wanted to uh, start with the process here. So if the province were to approve these applications, I guess, what does that uh, do to the city? Where where do things go from there, and what does the city need to do next to get these companies on the road?
2: Well, they would get a... License and uh, they would uh, have to meet uh, with the uh, chauffeur permit requirements. But uh, you know, really, the main control is by the province of British Columbia, not with the city of Kamloops. But I will say this, Jeff: that you know, right now, uh, you know, we are not served adequately by the taxi industry. Through no fault of theirs, but you know, we have no uh, surge capacity in the. Mornings, in particular, when we have a lot of flights through Camel's uh, airport, so that impacts business in, in terms of uh, getting people to meetings and things like that. And at the other end of the day, we have no uh, capacity during the bar flush uh, late at night. And, uh, People, as a result of that, are making bad choices in terms of taking rides with people who may have been drinking or else, uh, you know, walking uh, through questionable areas. There's a whole host of things, so having a rideshare system in Kamloops would be uh, certainly more convenient. It would be safer and it would be better for our local economy
1: uh do you have any confidence that they might be able to open here before the end of 2019 i mean it seems like it might be pretty quick but uh, obviously they are hoping to be able to open by that time so i mean are you confident that we can get them on the road that quickly
2: well i mean that that's again a business decision for those companies uh, i'm not familiar with the three that have expressed interest i'm more familiar with the traditional ones, Uber and Lyft. I actually have an Uber app on my phone, and I use it, uh, you know, when I am in in areas that are serviced by Ubers, and it's uh, amazingly convenient. But uh, you know, whether or not these smaller companies can get established, I guess, is really up to them and their business model. I can tell you that the city won't be an impediment for them.
1: Perfect. Well, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for coming on the program. Always appreciate it, and I look forward to chatting with you again in the near future.
2: Very good. Thank you for the opportunity,
1: Jeff. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. That was Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Uh, coming up after the break here, I, the uh, obviously the election is uh, now officially underway. The campaigns have started as the Prime Minister has dissolved. The 42nd Parliament Parliament, i will be helping to tee up what's coming up between now and October 21st here in the Kamloops Thompson Caribou region, so stick around for that. Canada's 43rd election, federal election, is now getting underway. Yes, the campaigning has started a while ago, but now it really officially begins. Justin Trudeau paid a visit to Governor General Julie Payette around 7 o'clock this morning to dissolve the 42nd Parliament. and We are now counting down the days until October 21st. That's... 41 days from now, including today. That's quite a short campaign compared to the 78-day election that we saw occur in 2015. Which, uh, But when you compare that to our neighbors to the south still, it's uh, not too bad overall because they feel like they go on for years. So, uh, yeah, 78 days, that's not so bad, let alone here 41 that we're dealing with this time around. Not going to complain about that. So, with all that in mind, it's time to prepare for what will be happening here in the riding of Kamloops Thompson Caribou. So, right here, right now, we have six candidates vying to serve as the area's MP. Terry Lake is running for the Liberal Party. He's a former mayor, Kamloops North MLA, and B.C. Liberal Cabinet Minister. Uh, For the NDP, well, the party just asked that Doc Curry step down, so it looks like there may not be an orange candidate here in this riding. At least there doesn't appear to be one at this point in time. The Green Party will be represented by Ian Curry. Curry says the uh, climate crisis and the fight against climate change is the reason that he is stepping into politics. Ken Finlay, is running under the banner of the People's Party of Canada. The Communist Party will be represented by Peter Carrick and uh, the other candidate here is this is, uh, Kira Cheeseborough who will be running for the Animal Protection Party of Canada and of course all of them will be looking to take over from incumbent conservative Kathy McLeod. McLeod has held the position here since 2008 and will be looking to win a fourth term. Taking a quick look back at 2015, McLeod won with 24,595 votes. That equaled 32 and a quarter percent of the votes that were cast that year. 21,466 people voted NDP, 21,215 voted liberal, and 2,489 voted green. There were also 174 rejected votes, so that was a total of 69,939 people that participated in the 2015 federal election here in the Caleb Thompson Caribou Riding. There were 95,347 people that were eligible to cast a ballot, meaning 73.35% of eligible voters took part. That's a pretty good turnout on a national scale. Sixty-eight and a half percent of eligible Canadians exercise their right to vote. So hopefully, we can keep ahead of that trend here in the area. As I always say, if you don't vote, you can't complain. And it doesn't take much of your time to go out and cast a ballot. Don't say it doesn't matter. I think that's just a lame excuse. Now, looking ahead to 2019, the electoral office will be open shortly. Now that uh, the election has been called, Uh, the office will be located in the main level of the Sahali Mall, and there will also be a satellite office located in 100 Mile. Advanced polling will be taking place from October 11th through the 14th. That will be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And those advanced polling stations will be open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. That equals a 50% increase in the number of hours that those stations will be open this time. And there will also be a 20% increase in the number of advanced polling stations. So about a 70% increase overall in the number of desk hours as more and more people take advantage of advanced polling. If you want to avoid those long lines on Election Day, then you can... uh, Take advantage of the advanced stations and avoid those long lines. How you choose to vote is, of course, entirely up to you. Do you vote based on the party leader? Do you vote based on the local candidate? Do you vote with both factors in mind? The latter is probably the best way to do it in my mind, but uh, it's totally up to you how you make your decision. Now, to help make those decisions, the English leadership debate is set for October 7th. The French one is set for October 10th. And our local candidates, our election form is set for October 8th. Of course, if you want to vote, you have to make sure you are registered. And you can do so by going to elections.ca to make sure you're on the list. And the local elections office is also going to be hiring about 1,000 people to staff its polling stations. So if you're interested in working this federal election, again, go to elections.ca and put in your application. 41 days. Doesn't feel like a long time, but I'm sure it's going to be coming up quick. Coming up after the break, I'll be talking with BC's finance minister, Carol James. Let's stick around.
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and radionl.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Hello and welcome back in here on Wednesday, September 11th. I'm joined now by the province's minister of finance, Carol James. Minister, thank you so much for joining me here today. Good morning, great to be here. So let's just start by uh, you know, looking at some of the numbers that you were releasing yesterday. So you're forecasting a surplus of nearly $180 million. So uh, can you start by kind of giving me a brief overview of how you guys were able to achieve that figure?
3: I can. Uh, We, in fact, have been very careful and very prudent in our budgeting over the last couple of years Uh, since I became finance minister. We really feel it's important to make sure that we're looking after people's money. It's not our money, it's the people's money. uh, That we're looking after it well, that we're making sure we're well positioned for anything that may come from the outside, and we're being measured and responsible. We're making key investments like child care and housing that really will help grow our economy. And so, what we're seeing in this quarterly, first quarterly report, uh, is that those outside factors are having an impact on every jurisdiction across the world, certainly across our country. Every province is looking at a lowering of growth projections. The good news is that BC is in fact very well positioned to be able to manage this. We are continuing according to the economic forecasters, the private sector forecasters continuing to lead the country in growth even with the lower projections, but it means being careful. It means being prudent and that's what we've continued to do and that's why you see that there's a continued surplus not only in the coming year but in fact in the three-year budget that we forecast.
1: Is there anything significant that you can point out as a result of why that uh, the surplus per, uh, figure that was projected sort of dropped quite a bit uh, from the beginning of the year to Q1?
3: I certainly can, and this really is the outside factors. I I don't think, and I'm sure your listeners will know this, whether you turn on the TV or listen to the radio or pick up a newspaper, uh, you can't escape the kinds of challenges that are being seen around the globe when it comes to the economy, whether we're talking about Brexit, whether we're talking about the challenges between the U.S. and China. Um, I think the only certain thing about the economy right now is uncertainty. And what that creates, of course, is a, a worry on people's minds. And so you see uh, business slowing down, you see spending slowing down. And as I said, we're seeing that particularly in the U.S. and Europe and Japan. But China and Canada uh, have seen that as well. Canada's growth has been lowered and all of the provinces' growth has been lowered because we live in a global economy now with things that impact, for example, commodity prices like lumber and mining. Those are going to have an impact on our budget as trade wars continue, as tariffs continue. So really it's outside factors and, and I believe our job and I believe people expect the government and the Minister of Finance to, to look ahead and to see what may be coming and to make sure that we build in those checks and balances in the budget.
1: So when we're looking at $180 surplus then to end the year after quarter one, and I, I can't remember the figure off the top of my head, I want to say it was somewhere around $270 million was projected at the beginning of the year. I guess, uh, mm-hmm. can we expect to see more of those big shifts going forward? I mean, like you said, it's kind of uncertain what the global economy is going to look like moving forward. So, uh, I mean, can we expect to see a, a big change in numbers? Obviously, you're not going to project that at this point, but um, is it difficult to really actually say what those figures will look like come the end of y- the year, let alone the end of quarter or two even
3: Well, I think certainly the the ups and downs of the economy are something that we're having to watch very closely. And, you know, I I joke that I could get uh, 10 economists or probably 50 economists in the room and each of them would give me a different estimate around what we're looking at over this next year because it is so uncertain out there. I think that's why it's important to build in that prudence. So we have, for example, over $2 billion as just-in-case dollars put aside in contingencies and forecast allowance. So that gets built into the budget. It's not allocated for spending. It's there just in case you see these kinds of shifts that we've seen. We've also projected our growth to be lower than they're projecting, the private sector forecasters are projecting. That again gives us a little bit of give there in case things shift. So uh, I think this really will be one of those watch very closely. But, you know, I, I'm incredibly proud of the province. It, you know, the strength in our economy really is because of the people of our province. That's who are working hard every day, the entrepreneurs, the business leaders, of workers in our in our communities. Um, that's really what's keeping our economy going, and we're still continuing to see some major investments. As as you know, major, largest private sector investment in in our country's history, right here in British Columbia with LNG, uh, and you're continuing to see the tech sector and, uh, and the new kind of innovative economy also taking off. So uh, the signs are very confident, but we're not an island. We will be impacted by the outside factors, and I believe we prepared very well for that.
1: Uh, here with BC Finance Minister Carol James now I also understand that you have some concerns when it comes to uh, ICBC they were forecasting I believe a a 50 plus million dollar loss to start the year but that has since shifted to I believe about a 60 million dollar surplus so I mean to start with I mean that seems like a a bit of a pretty significant shift for me uh, especially as a crown corporation in an industry where British Columbians feel they probably paid way too much for already so I guess what what are your specific concerns when it comes to ICBC and, and their finances
3: yeah. Okay. Well, you're certainly right. We're seeing uh, cautiously positive signs uh, from ICBC. The Attorney General, as you probably know, has brought in a number of major changes to be able to bring the, the organization back on track. Uh, we were left with a mess. I have to say it was the, the biggest shock of a finance minister to come in and have billion at, uh, at a billion dollar loss at a corporation uh, government uh, that was not expected. Uh, and so I think the fact that we've been able to clean up that mess and, and get it back on track is a good sign. The challenge though is there are still some outstanding lawsuits for example around a couple of the changes that have occurred. If those uh, aren't favourable that could have an impact on the budget line. We're still seeing past claims come in and those again could be very high cost. Uh, so we're not out of the woods yet. There's still more work to do and then of course there's the affordability rates. Uh, you know we are not in the place yet to be able to, to look at that issue and we want to. We want to be able to make sure that affordability there for people so uh, this is one we're keeping a very close watch on.
1: Um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about um, cannabis revenue sharing with UBCM coming up here in just a short couple of weeks. I know uh, the, the the BC municipalities were hoping to get a uh, revenue sharing agreement in place with the province, and this uh, meeting here coming up later this month was kind of one of their their target dates for hoping to get something done. And I guess what are your uh, current um, status when it comes to uh, having a revenue sharing agreement when it comes to cannabis with uh, municipalities, and and what is the timeline looking like at, like at this point in time?
3: Well, it'll be some time, yes. Uh, I'm afraid at this point we don't have revenue to share. Uh, the expenses of, of the setup of the of the cannabis structure to make sure that we were getting organized crime out of the business, to make sure we were protecting children. We've been taking a, a very measured approach. There's no question that uh, it's lower than we had expected. We had a municipal election, as you know, a year ago, and that uh, had an impact because we are working closely with our municipal partners around how we look at licensing and community what areas they're responsible for, what areas the province is responsible for, so we can make sure that that share uh, is done well. So we're not at that stage yet, we have been having very good conversations. We have a committee struck with, uh, with the Union of BC Municipalities, so we're keeping those conversations going, but uh, we haven't seen the kind of revenue that we expected coming in, and, uh, and once that occurs, we'll be able to, to talk about more specifics.
1: So I guess that's what it comes down to is just seeing more revenue actually coming into the pockets of, of the the feds and then the province and then it will go down to the municipalities. Is it just a matter of getting more sales or, or what, what is the real hold up? I mean, is it just a matter of not having enough money to talk about how to share it at this point? Is that really all it is? Yes, it-
3: That really is one of the biggest challenges is that uh, the revenue right now that we've had put in place to be able to get the structures up and running is more than we're bringing in in revenue. So there isn't revenue to share right now. But I think we also need to make sure that we're clear about who's responsible for what so we know what the division looks like of revenue. Um, You know, Certainly some municipalities have said no to cannabis, for example. Um, They don't want to look at stores in their municipalities. Some municipalities uh, are opening the door and and going through the process of, of 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 bylaws and setting uh, standards in their community. So we want to make sure we're also clear about who takes on what responsibility because then we can make a decision around it.
1: All right. I guess uh, in that regard, I mean, I feel like that is one of the, I think one of the major holdups anyway, when it comes to some of these private retailers coming on board. I guess, uh, you know, is there just any concern about uh, the fact that it's taking so long for some of these private retailers to, to open up shop and maybe that's having an impact on revenues? Is that at all something that's on the, uh, the Ministry of Finance's radar?
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, no question certainly on the solicitor general's uh, radar he is uh, he's looking at these issues and looking at um, people who are putting in requests and, and making sure those are moving along so uh, as I said we wanted to make sure we we're doing this right uh, but there's certainly the solicitor general the uh, the attorney general are very alert to uh, to the issues that have been raised by municipalities and by private industry as well
1: uh, well Minister James that's uh, about all I had for questions is there anything else that you want to throw on the table before I let you go here
3: I think just to to once again say thank you, uh, to say thank you to the people of British Columbia. You know, it is uh, an extraordinary uh, privilege to be able to be finance minister of a province where we have uh, hard-working British Columbians, businesses, entrepreneurs, as I mentioned, who really are keeping our economy going. And, uh, you know, yes, there are outside global factors that are going to impact us, but I also feel very positive about the resiliency of our economy and the, and the strength of the people of this province and the work that they do. So, uh, Uh, Thanks to them. And then I also have to add for your station, uh, a mea culpa uh, for Colton uh, yesterday, who was on the line. I I understand that the the moderator read out the name, and I thought, oh, it's someone new at NL. Uh, It's a Fulton on NL. Uh, It's Colton. My apologies, Colton. I promise I won't get your name wrong again.
1: (laughs) I'll be sure to pass on the message. Well, thank you so much (laughs) for taking the time, Minister James. I really appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much. I appreciate
1: it. All right. Have yourself a good day.
3: Okay. You take care. I had to give a jab to, uh, to Colton.
1: <laughs> oh, so I feel bad I love, about that. I love it. I'll make sure he gets it for sure. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. I appreciate it. And uh, speaking on NL Newsday yesterday, finance critic Tracy Reddy spoke to our own Brett Meniere, uh, where She spoke about some concerns she has when it comes to revenue sharing or when it comes to cannabis here in B.C.
4: Well, I think um, you've you hit the nail on the head. The government has been very slow to uh, put out, the, to get these um, permits uh, stores approved. And uh, as a result, um, we're tracking well behind the rest of Canada in terms of um, cannabis sales. So that was no surprise. The property tax, uh, property transfer tax revenue, that's also a shocking number. Again, when you think that the government in February said that property transfer tax revenues were going to be $1.9 billion, and we challenged them, them on that because we could see the housing market was falling, and in in trouble, and uh, uh, and then three months later, three four months later, now we're uh, now they're realizing that their their uh, t- the take from that uh, the property transfer tax is going to be almost five hundred million lower than what they currently budgeted, and again, all our message all along has been, you know, be prudent, uh, watch their spending because the economic. Um, uh, Situation can change at any time, and I think we're seeing that. It's a combination of stuff that's happening, uh, you know, in, in international markets, but it's also a reflection of the the, the waning business confidence in BC uh, as a place to do business, as a place to invest.
1: So there you go. UBCM, of course, was hoping to have a cannabis rev- revenue sharing agreement in place by the end of this month, as they get set to meet later this month, but it, uh, it's almost assured that that won't be the case. Coming up after the break, the election is now 41 days away when you include today. And uh, as the government was dissolved this morning, I will be speaking with TRU Associate Professor of Political Studies, Dr. Robert Hanlon, after this.
0: Your opinion.
1: We're back, and thanks again for tuning in here on Wednesday, September 11th on Radio NL. I'm joined now by TRU Associate Professor of Political Studies, Dr. Robert Hanlon. Thank you so much for coming in today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, uh, obviously, the election called this morning. I guess, are you excited for this campaign? I would think as a political studies professor that uh, this is kind of the stuff you live for.
5: Oh, no, absolutely. gets us fired up. <laughs> you know, we've got a couple courses at the University on Intro to Canadian Politics all full, so there's a whole bunch of students just really all trying to look to see what's going to happen in the next uh, 41 days.
1: I guess the material kind of writes itself then at this point,
5: eh? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a very organic living experience. We're literally going through it as yeah. it's happening.
1: So, uh, i got to ask, what are you kind of expecting over these next 41 days? I think, you know, it's going to be neck and neck, liberal, conservative. I think everyone's pretty much expecting that. So, I guess, kind of, what is the role that you expect the NDP and the Greens to play uh, over these next 41 days? I mean, uh, you know, it feels
5: less like they are the vote splitters that they have been in the past. I guess, what what is sort of your analysis of that? Yeah, you know, the polls are, as you know as we have them right now, it's got the conservatives and liberals kind of neck and neck, and it's got, you know, there's a lot of questions around the NDP and the Greens. Um, you know, I see the, the NDP really trying to, you know, claw their way back up the polls in this, trying to make themselves relevant, and, and you know, the Greens are, are really trying to, going to have to try to get official party status. So, you know, kind of these main uh, objectives, but I see, you know, this larger kind of narratives happening, and it's really going to come down to one of the things of political values, I think. You know, the NDP uh, holding the the major parties kind of uh, to account on environmental issues as well as the Green. Uh, We're going to see values being talked about of of the Prime Minister's ability to hold moral kind of standing. We're already seeing that being called out by Andrew Scheer against uh, Justin Trudeau. So I think it's going to be a lot of big ethics conversations. It's going to be who's best suited. um, But really, the the smaller parties are really going to be trying to hold uh, account accountability for the larger ones?
1: And yeah, you mentioned the NDP is trying to sort of make its way back up into the into the running here. They changed their campaign slow or their party slogan not long long ago to try to I guess change things up. I guess I mean, do you see any way that they can shift themselves or move themselves up into any position where they can you know take away some of those votes from the, the Liberals and and
5: Conservatives? You know, I do in in sense that you know they are the the th- you know making themselves a relevant third party option. Um, you know, they're going to really have to strive to do better in Quebec, uh, and we know there's all kinds of, of Challenges there, but when we saw the NDP surge years ago, it was really from the ridings in Quebec, and and it was unclear if that was really just more of a punishment to the Liberals, uh, and the you know the votes went to the NDP. Uh, but Jagmeet Singh's really kind of going at it uh, full full force and trying to raise that profile. So you know it really is going to be about a, a, a narrative of saying, well, we are a, b- a better option. We're the third option. If you know if you're unhappy with the the the, the Liberals, if you're unsure about the Conservatives, hey, we're here and, and we're we have experience as an official opposition party, we have experience doing this stuff.
1: Uh, and when we're talking about undecided voters, obviously that's who this is pretty much targeting. I guess, what, what do you think are some of the bigger shifter moments? Is it the debates? Is it just the overall campaign? Is it visits to specific cities? I mean, what do you think is really the the thing that shifts people's
5: minds more than anything else? Um, you know, I, I think a big thing is going to be the 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 discussion around who can best deliver to the middle class, and, and everyone kind of thinks of themselves in some ways as, as middle class in some ways, so it comes down to themes of taxation, health, I mean, it's really about what stuff matters to voters, and, and it's really going to be convincing them that they have the best policy around that. So, you know, it's not only d- about this, but we know throughout election cycles and, and campaign cycles, it, it, things change quickly, uh, stuff comes back from the past, stuff, you know, people say silly things on, on, on live TV and have to backpedal, so, you know, anything can happen. Uh, it's really, but I think about uh, this narrative about what best po- policy a, co- a party can do, uh, who has the, the, the moral authority to, to lead, and really about who can lead our, our, even our foreign policy with our, our international uh, relations, with, especially with the United States. Uh, here with TRU Associate Professor of Political Studies, Dr. Robert Hanlon. So uh, what are some of those
1: major issues, I guess, that we're talking about? I mean, uh, the environment and, and uh, environmental policy, obviously that's going to be a big one. Uh, the economy is, you know, al- always a popular topic when it comes to elections, how to grow uh, jobs and how to grow the economy. I guess, is there any other specific things that you think is really uh, attractive to voters right now and what they're looking to see, kind of what parties are are uh, concerned about? Uh, mm-hmm. What what specific issues do you, do you see being addressed? A
5: real uh, impact
1: here on people in 2019.
5: Right, and you know and it really comes down to what region in the country you're living in. You fair. Know, in, That's in. Fair, In the west you know, we do have big conversations about pipelines and, and you know, our, our fisheries and this kind of stuff and so, you know, how federal government can respond. In, in, so there's a, a different narrative happening on the coast as, as if you were to go to kind of Ontario or Quebec uh, you know, in Quebec you have a discussion with the Bloc Québécois trying to also clive, clive its way back into politics as an official. I almost opposition party still yeah. yeah and and we know that you know sovereignty or so you know uh, separation is not really you know it's not on quebec voters minds but they're going to you know they're positioning themselves as also a, a, a left leaning party in quebec so so you know there's a different kind of discussion going on there so it's really about regions um, but i think it's going to come down to really uh you know, big policy ideas and who's got the the ability to, to convincingly say this is the plan and, and it and it makes sense? Uh, do you have any Predictions at this point in time? No predictions, but I, but I will say it's going to be fascinating. If you have have me back in a week or two, I'm sure it's going to be different polling, different people. It's it's just a exciting time, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah,
1: 41 days. I mean, it's yeah. it's going to go quick. I think here. Yes. Um, I mean, uh, we've got some leaders' debates coming up. We got our own debate here locally. I mean, can I ask as well while I have you? Yeah, I don't have a ton of time left, but I guess what is the impact do you think that local candidates have? Because I know we when I talk to people, just the general public, they don't really seem to talk at all about what's happening. Locally, and, and that is something that people, I think, should take into account a little bit more when they are casting a ballot. I mean, do you, do you see people even really considering the local candidates when they do go to cast a ballot in a federal election?
5: I mean, when you're voting for a local candidate, you know, the make no mistake, you're voting for a political party platform. Mm-hmm. Platform. You're voting for the party itself, and and the leader is a representative of that party. But on the local level, when you have local candidates, it really comes down to you know who you can. There is a sense of relation, uh, who you can trust, who who's approachable. Um, who do you think it has the ability to kind of, you know, weigh influence within the party itself? So, you know, local candidates absolutely matter, you know, h- having them hit the streets and knocking on doors. Uh, you know, it really builds trust with the border and, and the rapport with the community.
1: Awesome. Well Thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Hanlon. I really appreciate your time, and maybe we'll have you back in a couple weeks. Great. Thank you. Awesome. That was TRU Associate Professor of Political Studies, Dr. Robert Hanlon. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, if you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.